Welcome to Podcasts on Demand, a continuing medical education activity. This activity includes the most recent and current clinical data presented by leading experts. If you are seeking continuing education credit, please review the disclosures and the requirements for a successful completion of the activity prior to listening to the podcast. A link is found in the podcast description that can direct you to this information. Thank you for joining us for Conversations in Advanced Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer, Rationale and Utility of Trope 2 Antibody Drug Conjugates, based upon updates from WCLC and ESMO. During this segment, we will be discussing the impact of ADCs targeting Trope 2 and other novel targets. I'm Dr. Alex Spira, co-director of the Virginia Cancer Specialist Research Institute. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Dr. Ben Levy and Dr. Aaron Lisberg. Great having you. So there's been a lot going on, and it's been many years of ADCs now, and they're the hottest thing in non-small cell lung cancer, and so it's almost hard to keep track. You know, we're going to start today, uh, gentlemen, by talking a little bit about the TROPE-2 ADCs, which are probably the farthest along. Uh, and let's start with some of the studies just reported, Tropion Lung-01. Aaron, you know, you were an author on this. Why don't you take us through Tropion Lung-01, and then you can even segue into Tropion Lung-05. Tell us what the studies were looking at, what they showed, and kind of where we go from here. Of course. Thanks, Alex. Um, and, you know, you and I worked very uh, closely together with, with Dato for many years uh, leading to these studies. So um, so the Tropion Lung-01 study uh, was a randomized, a large randomized phase three study valuing Dato DXD, which is a trope 2 directed antibody drug conjugate against our standard second line chemotherapy docetaxel in patients with advanced metastatic non-small cell lung cancer uh, who had previously received therapy and were eligible for second line chemotherapy. Patients were enrolled uh, whether they had or did not have an actionable genomic alteration, the non-squamous and squamous histology were both enrolled, and there was no minimum trope 2 expression level that was required for, uh, for treatment. They were randomized one-to-one -one at that point to receive uh, Dato DXD uh, every three weeks versus docetaxel, and the trial had two dual uh, primary endpoints, progression-free survival by blinded independent central review and overall survival. So um, there was a lot of data that was presented um, at ESMO. Essentially, what we saw uh, was that um, in terms of patient disposition, um, three times higher number of patients on the Dato DXD arm were on therapy at the time of data cutoff compared to docetaxel. We also, we also saw that more than half of patients treated with docetaxel were on therapy for three months or less. This is in contrast to 20% of patients on the Dato DXD arm who were on therapy for at least nine months compared to less than 10% uh, in the docetaxel arm. Reason for treatment discontinuation and the median study follow-up are similar on both arms. So when we looked at the um, first of the two dual primary endpoints, uh, progression-free survival and the intention to treat population, what we saw was a statistically significant improvement in progression-free survival in favor of Dato DXD over docetaxel, a hazard ratio of 0.75, more than doubling of the objective response rate, a longer duration response. Uh, the median PFS in the Dato DXD arm was 4.4 months compared to 3.7 in the docetaxel arm, though. And we then looked a little further in terms of which patient populations were deriving the greatest benefit. And we, we looked at a forest plot in the ESMO presentation. We essentially saw that across the vast majority of the characteristics, um, there appeared to be a PFS benefit in favor of Dato DXD over docetaxel. However, when we looked at histology, there was a clear divergence in terms of this PFS benefit, where patients with non-squamous histology were clearly benefiting, and those patients with squamous did not, with a hazard ratio greater than one. We also saw in that forest plot that the patient population with the greatest benefit from Dato DXD with respect to PFS uh, was the patients with actionable genomic alterations, and all but three of those patients had non-squamous histology. So we looked at this a little closer in some Kaplan-Meier curves on the ESMO presentation. 
again, seeing that in the non-squamous population, there was a clear separation of the curves for PFS in favor of data DXD, almost tripling in the ejector response rate, a much longer duration of response, and uh, median PFS uh, benefit of 1.9 months, has ratio 0.63. Again, when we looked at the squamous, uh, it was essentially the exact opposite. The hazard ratio greater than one, objective response rate, duration response, uh, median PFS were all short for data DXG, really emphasizing uh, the patients with squamous histology are in it, it, when selected in an unselected manner, really not benefiting from data DXD. We then looked at um, uh, non-squamous histology with, that did not have actionable genomic alterations because the question really was, was that benefit seen in the non-squamous population entirely driven by the actual genomic alteration patients? And what we saw was, no, that patients with non-squamous histology, even without actual genomic alterations, had a PFS benefit for the data DXD over docetaxel with a, a has ratio of 0.71. And so clearly the PFS benefit in non-squamous histology was for both patients with and without actual genomic alterations. Uh, we then turned our attention to uh, the, FSQ, uh, the second uh, dual primary endpoint, overall survival. Um, I presented an interim overall survival uh, analysis and the intention to treat population, but there is a final overall survival analysis that hasn't occurred and will be presented at a future meeting. In terms of the interim analysis, we did see a, a trend in favor of data DXD over docetaxel. Uh, this did not cross the pre-specified boundary for statistical significance. But when we broke it down by histology, again, what we saw was that the non-squamous patients are the patients deriving the greatest OS benefit from data DXD over docetaxel. So no, that was great, Aaron. Thanks. So, so Ben, you know, I think I was surprised by this, uh, the squeams. You know, if we just did a CME not long ago, and we were talking that trope two is a hot, more highly expressed on adenocarcinomas of 100%. I think you actually said it was 92% for squamous cells. So not a lot of difference, right? So I'm a simple guy, and I would expect this to work equally in both. Yet in this study, squeams did actually, if anything, did worse with this compared with docetaxel. And we, we all agree we're not a big fan of docetaxel. Can you explain that, Ben? Do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I think you're trying to seek revenge on me for the hard question I asked you when I was moderating. You know, we don't know. We don't know the biological rationale why we saw this signal. And like many times in lung cancer now, what we do is we see the clinical observation first, and then we're going to have to work backwards to explain it preclinically. And that used to be the it used to be the other way around because the data is coming so quick and fast. So I don't think we have a good biological rationale as to, to, to why we saw this, but we need to do work. Question is, will we see the same signal in Evoca 1, which is the same study, but using sesotuzumab gabidikin versus docetaxel? Fortunately, that trial also allows adenos and squames. So we'll see. I mean, it'll be really interesting if we see a different result from that. It may be more confirmatory if we see, hey, even with another trope to ADC, we don't see activity with squames. So I, I don't think we know, but it's early and hope we get answers in the next six, eight months here. Yeah, no, and my only thought there is, you know, both Aaron and I, I think participated in the phase one study. We didn't talk much about it today, pantumor one. And I admit, I should go back and look at our own manuscript and see what percentage were squames. I'll be curious to see, was there just not enough squames? Was the signal missed? Or is there something else going on that we don't understand? So, so but Aaron, also, you mentioned before, talking a little bit about datapotamab plus duralumab. And I know, Ben, you published a lot on that. Uh, as well, combining this with immunotherapy. What do you think the implications of, of that are? And how do you see this moving into the front line as we possibly combine checkpoint inhibitors with either caroplatin or uh, immunotherapies like Durban? Yeah, this is this is the kind of the key question here is that we've seen single agent activity in the second line. How, how do we leverage that and combine it with either IO in the first line 
or dare I say IO post platinum in the first line and replace our beloved pimetrexid uh, for adenocarcinoma. So, you know, I, I think there are two stories emerging here in the first line. We've seen encouraging activity, as Aaron mentioned, with uh, datapotamab druxican in combination with immunotherapy. We've also seen encouraging activity with sasituzumab gavitakin in combination with immunotherapy, both in the frontline setting. Um, the question will be, how does this move forward? And I think there are key studies that are answering this question. I think for the PDL1 greater than 50%, the right trial is Pembro versus Pembro plus ADC, trope 2 ADC. And that trial is being done, and we'll see what that shows. Less than 50%, things get tricky. Uh, and, and how to design these trials is really important. The, the big question is, can we abandon the Keynote 189 or the 407 regimen for adeno and squames respectively? Um, will the ADC do that? Will it just be ADC Pembro um, that's able to be or e at least equivalent to a 189 regimen? So you don't have to use the platinum or the pimetrexid that can be replaced with the ADC. Um, I think this is where things get extraordinarily tricky. Time will tell. But as the, as Aaron briefly mentioned, we have seen encouraging activity with ADC plus immunotherapy. There's a biological rationale for this. Uh, maybe, you know, there's synergy because ADCs work via ADCC or antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity. So, Look, we're at the we're at the, we're at the alpha stage here. We're at the very beginnings of this story, uh, and we'll have to learn more over the next twelve months. Guaranteed, if we had another of these in twelve months, we'd have an entirely different conversation. And I'm sure we will do another one, hopefully together, in twelve months, Ben. And I, I think for me, I'm looking at this a lot, and you know, I do have some concerns. Right, moving into the front line, you start to not just talk about response rates, but you're also talking about tolerability. And I think we're going to be doing another uh, one of these very shortly. That's not only just talking about efficacy, but really how do you manage toxicity? And it is my beloved pemetrexid. I've been using it for a long time. I actually did the phase three randomized study way before either one of you guys were around. Dating yourself, Alex. You're dating, dating myself. I always do. Uh, I think it's a great drug. So how much better does it have to be? And what's the trade-off in terms of toxicity, right? And I think that's going to be a very important question. We only have about a minute or so left. So I think it's very exciting. And I think, you know, you said it very eloquently before in a previous conversation, Ben, you know, synthetic biochemistry for these ADCs is amazing. There are three parts. You can take any antibody, any linker, any warhead, combine them in all different ways, and you put it together. And there's a lot of these new targets. We have petritimab, we have TLOV, we have Nectin-4, we have tissue factor, we have C we have a lot of these coming down the pike. Is there one, Aaron, you're most excited about coming down sooner? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's a that's a good question. Um, you know, I was excited about the Herthina Lung One data that was presented at World Lung, the Petrumab uh, drugs TCAN, specifically in the EGFR mutant population. Um, I think the data there looked actually very similar to what we saw with Data DXD um, in the EGFR population. So there's some opportunities there. Uh, Tulisov V, I think, is an exciting molecule in this in the CMET space, uh, using either the MMAE payload or the new. Uh, molecule using um, a topo one payload. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of excitement across the spectrum of these ADCs. And I think that as we've all discussed throughout these uh, the, the talks today, um, we're very early in development and really identifying which of these agents are uh, effective, which patients are most likely to benefit. And then ultimately, if we are fortunate enough to get multiple agents in the clinic in the coming years, how do we sequence these things? Can we sequence these things? Which drug should be we should we we be using first? I think they're all 
exciting questions. I think they'll all be very difficult questions to answer, but there are more opportunities for hopefully our patients to live longer and better lives. Yeah, I mean, it's truly a time, right? I mean, the number of drugs in development keeps exploding. You know, the EGFR world with clotritimab is going to get complicated. You know, we have naked antibodies, we have bispecific, so it's going to be really complicated. And you can just see it's going to be, how do we make decisions is important. So thank you for, again, for joining us for this segment on the impact of ADCs. Please be sure to click on the landing page for this activity to claim your continuing education credit, access supplemental slides, as well as other topic segments. We hope you found this podcast useful and educational. To receive continuing education credit and to download your printable certificate, please go to the activity page at practice.cme.com to complete the post-test and evaluation to receive continuing education credit.